0: Hello and welcome to the Wealth Reliance Podcast. My name is Dave Deal. This is the podcast for the Side Cash Hustler. If you want insights, real-life experience from people just like you on how they started creating side income, you are in the right place. Documented experiences of people creating a few hundred dollars to extra tens of thousands of dollars a month. Make sure to subscribe and review. This means more than you know. Also, feel free to check us out at selfreliantwealth.com. Before we jump
1: into the episode, let's take a minute to thank our sponsors.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Self-Reliant Wealth Podcast. My name is Dave Deal, and I am your host. Today, our guest speaker is somebody that has spent a lot of time in the real estate space, not only on the investment side, but he also has gone into more of these seller financing notes, being the bank and being able to offer amazing solution to those who need some help with their mortgages, offering better solutions than traditional bank financing. Marco is one of the nicest, most kind-hearted people that I have met. Uh, The time that the short time that we've spent together, it's been amazing to be able to get to know him and understand a little bit more about what he does in the real estate space. Without further ado, Mr. Marco Barrio, please come on to the show and tell us a little bit about
1: yourself. Hey, David. I'm Marco. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Um, man. Yeah. So what can I tell you? Well, tell us about you, man.
0: What? Uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us about your uh, endeavors in real estate, how you got into seller financing notes. Just uh, give us the rundown.
1: Sure. I mean, going way back, um, I started working, um, went to college for and started working um, in television production. So nothing to do with real estate at all. Um, went to school in Boston and came to move out to Los Angeles in uh, the early 1990s. A long time ago, and I worked in television I worked in the production office and you know paid my dues delivering scripts and getting lunches and all that good stuff and then I worked my way up I was a uh, eventually producer on primetime television series on scripted series um, and then when um you know life changes and this was the first time i I got a taste of that life changes in the sense that my wife and I were expecting our first uh, kid and uh, production hours are long <laughs> and And unstable, too, because I was freelance, so I would go from project to project. We'd get anywhere from six episodes to, if you're lucky, a couple of seasons, but certainly not a lot of stability there. And that, with the hours and so forth, I had a chance to go um, work for what's the most corporate world in entertainment, at least, which is working with facilities who provide services. In my case, it was post-production. Post-production is everything that happens and the footage leaves a set. So if it's a film set or television set or whatever type of set it is, it's a lot of work that happens, as you probably know, after the fact. So that footage leaves set and we have editorial and color correction and sound and visual effects. And I ended up working for a, um, a large company called Technicolor. And eventually I was their uh, head of theatrical post-production on the digital side. Technicolor was a, uh, actually invented color film uh, about a century ago but um, we were in the digital uh, realm mostly by then. And I was running things on the digital side. Um, so that was incredible. I got to transition from freelance production work into something more stable. I mean, I, I had a health plan. That was, that was something I didn't have and I couldn't count on before, right? But, um, but things changed in that world too. You know, a technology miniaturized and the work that we would spend... Hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out suites for it could be done on laptop computers and certainly in more places, not just Los Angeles, but it happens globally now. And it was a good time to find something else. So I transitioned again, a um, couple small uh, startup endeavors, uh, selling uh, products online, um, which got my feet wet at, at advertising on Google. I wasn't too successful with the business, but I got a lot of knowledge out of that. Um, A couple entertainment startups kind of mixed in there as well, uh, providing post-production technology development. Um, But um, I found real estate investing through a local RIA group, and my eyes were probably as wide as they've ever been at that point. Um, And for those who know much about real estate investing, it's a broad topic, and there's so many niches. You can flip houses, you can wholesale properties can raise money for other people's deals. You can do all sorts of things. Um, but when I started to drill into it, I realized that every transaction has property, but it also has paper. And the paper is the debt on the transaction. You know, certainly some pay cash, but most of the time there's debt involved. And the traditional way when anybody buys a, a property is to go to what's called an institutional lender. So that'd be a, a bank or Quicken Loans or someone like that, a large lender. And to, and to obtain financing. But there's a lot of transactions, or a lot of transactions done on an annual basis where sellers finance one another. And that was really interesting to me, that you know two people, two individuals could just work it out. And the interest rate and the term and everything else is just negotiated between the two of them. And someone can sell a property and they no longer own property, but they own paper. And that's an asset that can be bought or sold. like property can it's just another type of asset banks sell loans all the time right how many times if you have a mortgage on a house do you get a letter saying oh someone bought my loan okay nothing changes except where you're going to send the payment well my business day in and day out is i market to owners of seller financed paper loans uh, mortgage notes i have a lot of different names Um, and i offer to buy those And sometimes we'll buy all the remaining payments. Sometimes we buy just some of the remaining payments. That's called a partial. So I'm a secondary market. Sounds very banky to say it. (laughs) I'm a secondary market for the seller financed note.
0: Awesome. Well, and it sounds like you really have had quite the, you know, the story and the journey throughout your time at Technicolor and in the production space and then moving into real estate. And I mean, what every time you transition, that must have been kind of a scary time or a time when, you know, there's lots of uncertainty. And then especially getting into the real estate space. I mean, there's not necessarily any guarantees. What was that like? I mean, you mentioned you had, you know, your first child on the way when you made some of those transitions and, you know, the family aspect and just regular day-to-day life how was that on uh, you know on the back end? what was that like going through your your mind and and your wife's mind and as a family
1: um scary for sure, but I've always had the mindset that if if I don't try new things that I'll just be left behind and sure. um, and when I'm, when I was in a, you know when I was in the entertainment space and I saw opportunity, first it was well i'm just not going to be able to have the lifestyle I want with my family and also continue to work in production. So something presented itself to me. I wasn't looking at the time to go work for a post-production facility, which ultimately became Technicolor. And um, so that was, that was handed to me and it was a gift. It was a huge gift. Cause I learned so much there. I mean, I was in, I was in meeting, corporate type meetings where we were reviewing P and L statements, profit and loss statements. That's something I didn't do in my, my production job. Um, so that was a great opportunity. But it allowed me to see what what opportunities change could bring. Yeah. I would say from that point forward, it was, well, if I'm going to continue to have the things that I want and be challenged and intrigued with what I do, um, then it's going to involve change. So then all the other changes were seeking them out. Now, I love that. I think that really is something you know that you
0: we've got to point out here is number one, you had that mindset of an opportunist. You were not necessarily even looking, but when the opportunity came, you saw it as an opportunity and you took it, right? And then the second aspect to that too is just being willing to accept change, knowing that there's going to be different things that are going to, there's so many moving pieces. And I think there's a lot of times just as humans, we decide that we don't like change, and that's what can cripple us. But the moment that we can adapt to that change, look for it, look for the opportunities, that's when everything begins to
1: unfold and opportunities we never thought possible become present. There's an exercise I do with myself sometimes. It's what's at risk. I pick this up through a men's group I'm part of. And the what's at risk is, well, let's say let's say you're scared to go for an opportunity that's up. Well, what's at risk? Well, if I ask for the opportunity and they tell me no, well, I'll be embarrassed by that, or, you know, whatever your reasons might be. But what's at risk if you don't go for the opportunity? Well, boy, I'll, I'll probably feel shame about myself because I just sat around and I didn't take a chance and, I, and I'll have missed out on a potential growth opportunity, whether it be financial or personal. So the what's at risk game is something I think that helps me in those situations. I love that. I think that really
0: is a valuable lesson and a tool and a principle that we can all apply, right? I mean, many times we make the stories up in our head and it's not even a reality, but we're just feeding ourselves the lies, so to speak, and that's what keeps us from realizing that, hey – Sometimes it's just a matter of making the choice and sticking to it. And, you know, we get to see what happens, but we get so caught up inside our own minds that we hesitate or it keeps us from doing what we know we should do.
1: Everything good is on the other side of fear, right?
0: Yep, yep, no, absolutely.
1: Okay, so let's jump back to the real
0: estate side. You made that transition into real estate, started going to some Maria meetings. What was your first deal like? My
1: first deal, Um, around that time, um, and boy, it's continued, but around that time, and this was just a four or five years ago, the stock market was really high. And I looked like a genius because my retirement account was really high. And, and, uh, and I wasn't a genius. I think everybody who just kind of stuck it out in the market and had since the last downturn had done pretty well. And I started to think, well, gee, this this, this train's run a pretty long way and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run out of steam at some point. What can I do with that cash? As fate would have it, I could have left it there and I would have done pretty well to continue. But who knew that at the time? I saw that as risk. So coincide with I was going to real estate meetings, I said, wouldn't it be great if I could start to invest retirement assets directly in real estate? And I don't know if you know or how many of your listeners are aware, but you can do that called a self-directed retirement account. And by self-directed, I mean it's not at a brokerage. They'll tell you yeah. you're self-directing because you pick the individual stocks you like, but there are a lot of assets that just aren't on the table in that uh, scenario. So I started to transfer funds. I, In my case, I set up what's called a, a solo 401k uh, because I had a business at that point and my business just essentially started its own retirement plan. It's, it's a 401k but it's self-directed and I was able to start direct investing directly in deals. Um, my first deals were, um, I don't know what I was doing at the time and I wanted to rely on other people's expertise. Um, my first deals were uh, what are called syndications where, um, uh, a sponsor will pool money together from multiple investors and put that into a specific deal or start a fund to go buy multiple deals. Um, my first was a fund that, uh, bought three self-storage facilities, um, which was interesting. I got to, um, of course I'm relying on the expertise of the sponsor, but I'm also performing my own due diligence and I got to learn that space and I got to learn how to, how to, uh, run the financials on my own and, and see what numbers I come up with. Um, so it was really valuable. So that's how I started.
0: I love it, man. The, I think that's one of the things, you know, when I got started in real estate investing too, it's, there's so many, just like you mentioned, there's so many different areas you can focus on in real estate and you kind of just have to pick one and go for it and see what you like, see what you don't like, test out some of the the waters and figure out what resonates with you. But like you mentioned, right, it's just, it's a learning curve like anything else. Uh, Once you spend the time and the energy in it, then you grow, you get better, you figure out, okay, here's my skill set. This is where I'm really good. And this is where I can rely on other people that they have a better skill set. Um, you've been doing it now for a while. What's that process look like? I mean, has there been uh, areas of real estate that you haven't liked so much? Or, you know, obviously the seller finance notes you spend a lot of time in now, that seems to be an area you like, but what was that journey and process
1: like? Well, the thing I like the most is creativity and getting my hands dirty. You know, it it coming from production, and I've always had that mindset, I like to build things, I like to take things apart and see if I can put them back together. Um, and certainly there's a lot of room for that in real estate uh, without ever picking up a hammer. Um, and the creativity comes with putting deals together. Um, and when someone understands the finance side of the business, they can get very creative with deals. Um, so when I stumbled upon, as far as things I, I haven't liked, there's nothing I paid it. Um, and, um, you know, I hate losing money. And uh, <laughs> I try I try to do that as little as possible, <laughs> but even understanding some of the creative tools that I've learned about going um, through my process, I've been able to take deals that could have been disasters and turn them into break even deals.
0: Um, man, my
1: pride takes over and I just, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to lose money. I don't want the bank account to go down, but I just want to know that I can, I can find my way out. I, I view some of the deals like, like um, it, it's, I visualize like like Houdini, right? He would say, okay, there's the tank of water, and here's all these chains and handcuffs. You're gonna chain me up, you're gonna drop me in that tank of water, and I'm gonna figure out how to get out. So he knew how to get out before he was ever put in the tank. We all know that. But, um, but that's what it is sometimes when, when I go into a deal. I never quite know what it's gonna turn into. And uh, that's the thing I like the most.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Every every deal is different. Every opportunity presents new challenges. And, you know, I think there's just some awesome comparables to life and real estate because every day is different, right? Every every day we're gonna face different challenges. Every person has different obstacles they've got to overcome. But at the end of the day, there's usually always a way out. And we just have to be willing to dig deep enough and find that way out. And, you know, who knows what can
1: happen. You know why they're different is because there's people involved. True. Like I said before, what I like about seller financing is that it's individuals dealing with individuals. You yeah. so know, numbers don't just change, but people change. So scenarios change. And I find that the deeper I get into it, the better I understand problem solving for people, uh, the more success I can have. Um, and if you ask me what the most enjoyable part has been, it's the creativity, and that comes from the people. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So if you were
0: gonna give some advice to somebody starting out in the real estate world, what would it be?
1: The advice is to absorb as much as you can, but find places to dip your toes into the water. I'm sure a lot of your guests have talked about analysis paralysis and, and and that becomes cliche in the world. But if I hadn't put money into my first deal, I wouldn't have learned, but I also wouldn't have started to trust myself to do the next deal and then the deal after that and the deal after that. Um, So there's a balance, of course. I wouldn't recommend throwing life savings all into a single deal. Um, But enough education so that you understand that when you're signing the document or wiring the funds, um, what it should look like And then enough confidence in yourself to believe that when it looks a little different, you'll find your way through.
0: I think that's huge. I really do. Because the confidence, I mean, that's what keeps us hungry and going back for more. But at the same time, building that confidence takes time. It's part of that process. Um, And it's just like you said, doing deals. I mean, When you put your money where your mouth is and you actually put skin in the game, um, and you start trying to do these deals. That's how you build the confidence. If you don't do them, you're not going
1: to build the confidence. Yeah. So you've got to be willing to at work. Yeah, my first several note deals were. Everyone looked a little bit different. I bought it. I started buying non-performing notes. I'd buy non-performing second position leads, and I'd buy a non-performing first position lien, and I'd buy a note that where the where the payer was in bankruptcy. And I'd buy a note in a state that can might be notoriously difficult to work in. And everything was a little bit different because I'm like, I basically understand what I'm doing here, but I want to throw these extra curveballs balls um, in, into my deal because I want to learn.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Is there any learning lesson or uh, difficult deal that stood out um, as far as when we were like, okay, this is a very valuable lesson. I'm going to keep this and use this going forward.
1: I I have one I don't talk about publicly um, because, because I made some assumptions about how, um, how one of the parties in the deal would act. And remember I said earlier that you have to be prepared because these are people for all types of outcome. Well, maybe I wasn't as prepared as I should have been. Sure. Um, And, and that's okay. I'm, I've, I've gotten that deal stabilized. That's one of those that I'm, I didn't turn into a home run. It could have, but it didn't uh, because some unexpected things happened. Um, but I'm going to be fine in that deal. So um, the preparation, what, what could you have done differently to prepare better for it? You know, underwriting, underwriting is an art Underwriting is When you look at the deal and you run the numbers 16, 25, 32 different ways. Um, to be fair, I i I got I reached a point in confidence where I cut some corners, um, or I didn't listen to the voice in my head or the numbers on the page. When people underwrite note deals, um, let's take non-performing notes as an example. I don't play much in that space anymore, but I used to when I was starting out, again, because I wanted the experience, uh, knowing I can get out from under a note that goes bad. Um, generally, people who underwrite those deals We'll look at all possible outcomes. What if the uh, we're able to get the borrower to reperform? What, is the, what does the deal look like then? What if the borrower can't reperform and we have to pursue a foreclosure? What does the deal look like then? What happens if I foreclose and the house isn't worth what I thought it was worth? And what happens then? So you have to run through all these different scenarios. Um, and if you move too fast, you'll you you run the risk of missing something.
0: So yeah, that's no. The lesson. Running too fast. Yep. No, I, I feel you. Um, I think sometimes we just get so sucked into, into it, right, into that confidence, and it can hurt us if we're not careful. So we got to keep – we got to stick to the process, stick to the formula, and it should hopefully protect you most of the time. I love it, man. Um, one of the most – valuable questions i feel like i get to ask on this this podcast is uh, and one of my favorite questions is essentially if you were given one day to live and tomorrow is the last day what is the legacy or what is the advice that you would leave behind for family friends clients uh, business partners whatever it is what would you leave behind as your legacy you
1: didn't tell me there were going to be hard questions (laughs) Um, one day to live, what is the advice? Um, well, you know, I got an email in my inbox today and this is something I believe for a while, uh, but it was a good reminder. Um, the email talked about this topic that, that why do we, why do we pursue financial freedom? Um, it certainly, for me, isn't about buying cars and boats and vacation homes. It's about about buying time. So the hard work that I put in um, just leads to me being able to walk away uh, for extended periods of time um, because of that work, right? And it's because there might be mailbox money coming in that's passive and I don't have to worry about it. So um, the, the message is that time's the most valuable asset. Yeah, that's spot on, man. Because
0: we don't know when our time is, right? And so if we waste it and we treat it uh, in a way that doesn't, you know, add value, then
1: who knows? I mean, tomorrow could be the last day. A hundred percent. And and I have two kids, and you, you, I know, are a father, and uh, those 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 moments can't be replaced. They're pretty amazing.
0: Definitely tender, for sure. Sometimes you just sit there and you look at them, and it's like. Wow! Like <laughs> I, there's no words that can describe, yep. and watching life through their eyes, and it's pretty amazing for sure. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. I love it. Well, Marco, this has been an awesome episode. Um, Is there any other words of wisdom or advice that you'd give somebody starting a business or just starting out uh, in the world of
1: real estate? Um, just go, just go. Um Find find groups of people, RIAs and, and uh, online communities. And it's, there's so much information out there. I went from uh, pushing TV budgets around uh, to pushing uh, real estate notes around. And they're, they're much different, but I found my way. I think anybody can. Very
0: cool. I think that's very sound advice. If somebody wants to connect with you, learn more about what you're doing with solar
1: finance notes um, or just connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. I have a website. My company is named Porch Swing Funding. Um, so like a swing on a front porch of a Porch Swing is my website. My email is Marco at Porch Love to talk about seller financing.
0: Awesome. We'll make sure that's in the show notes. And uh, Marco, again, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's been kind of an adventure getting this, this episode to happen, but I think there's so many valuable golden nuggets in it that, uh, you know, I've taken away and I know our listeners will take away too. So I appreciate you being willing and, and taking the time to do it. And everybody out there just always remember infuse hope to those in need by teaching correct principles that lead to result driven action. Go out, make it a great day. As Marco said, just go out and do it. Are you ready to learn how you can take your life and your business to the next level? Learn how you can create side income and have different assets pay for your life and your lifestyle? Tune in next week to the Wealth Reliance Podcast. This is Dave
1: Deal signing out. Thank you so much and have a great week.